Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission and are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word and that through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Amen. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 24. And I want to ask you all, I know Wednesday Brother Roberts was teaching and I took notes because I, I, I don't want to get disconnected. And I know we're Pentecostal and we have a certain way of doing things that I love. I'm not, I'm not asking us to change the way that we do things, but it I know the amen and the, the clapping of the hands and the shouting, uh, you know, the, the words of agreement, those certainly help a preacher. And I believe they help us. They, they affirm our receiving of the word. But I think in our living rooms, it might be a little bit of it. First of all, when you say amen, it's, it's, uh, it's not going to give me the same um, benefit that it would if you were sitting here right now saying amen. So, so what I want to ask you to do, if you can, is take some notes today. I'm probably going to do more of a, a teaching um, format than I might normally do on a Sunday. I'm sure I'll get some preaching there. But probably more, I feel like God wants to help us today with some instruction. Amen. So I want us to begin reading in Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse number 13. The Bible says, Behold, two of them... Previous context allows us to understand that it's speaking of two disciples. Two followers of Jesus went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, or about seven miles. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. It came to pass that while they communed together, and reasoned, Jesus, they were trying to figure it out, is what they were doing. They were trying to figure out what had just happened. Speaking of the crucifixion, the burial. And Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have to one another as you walk and are sad. What are you talking about that has you so depressed? What, what is your conversation about? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, said unto him, Art, art thou the only, only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? Verse number 28. We're going to skip down a little bit. Sorry, I messed up the slides a little bit. I apologize. Matt's doing his best to piece it together. Verse 28, and they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And Jesus made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. It came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened. They knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scripture? Amen. Is there one more verse there, Matt? Go ahead. They rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. Amen. They rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And I want to teach, preach, talk, hopefully a little bit from my heart and some things that will help you. But if literally today I'm preaching to myself... <laughs> Literally today, I'm preaching to myself and Matt. But more truly than just literally in physical sense, I am preaching to myself today. And I want to talk to us today about defeating disappointment. 
Amen. Defeating disappointment. Before we dive into this rich text, as I began to navigate through the text, there were so many points that could be expounded upon. I've tried to narrow it down to a few that will help us. But before we dive into this text that unfolds, as two disciples are walking on a road to Emmaus, I would simply examine a word that has the potential to be a destructive force in the faith of a child of God. This word gives name to a giant. This word gives identity to a giant. If ever there were a giant that stands guardian before the inheritance and promises of God for our lives. And while scripture gives name to several giants that oppose the people of God, I would say that none of them possess the form or the stature of the giant that I am going to identify this morning. It's likely when I speak of giants listed in the scripture, probably most of us, our mind races to one particular giant by the name of Goliath, a man of such stature and strength. The Bible tells us an entire army hid whenever Goliath would open his mouth to speak. Standing somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 feet tall, the Bible gives us some reference point as to Goliath's strength when it tells us that just the tip of the spear that he carried into battle weighed 600 shekels or somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 pounds. That just the tip of the spear Goliath carried. There are other giants mentioned in Bible. Their names given, some of them, the name Saf, Lami, Ishbibinab. And there was an unnamed giant who the Bible tells us had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. And then there are the giants that inhabited the promised land of Canaan. These giants so formidable that they caused ten spies that had been sent forth by Moses to spy out the land that God had given them. And yet because of the presence of these giants, the ten spies returned with an evil report leading to an entire generation forfeiting the promises of God. And of all of these giants, I assure you that of greater stature, greater power, greater prominence than Goliath, Saf, Lami, Ishbibinab, the giant with 12 fingers and 12 toes, and all the giants in Canaan, is this giant named Disappointment. Now you may discount this declaration of the power the defiance of disappointment as being nothing more than religious rhetoric or holy hyperbole. Yet I assure you that I have witnessed more forfeited forfeited promised lands, more declined promises of God at the feet of disappointment than almost any other foe. I've watched people stand and look disease in the face and still obtain the promise that God had for them. And yet I've watched others turn away at the face of disappointment. This morning, for just a few minutes, I want to study the passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 24. A passage that follows two disciples traveling a seven-mile stretch of the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And I want to look at this subject, maybe if I would look at it this way, a 3D look at disappointment. A 3D, three-dimensional, 3D look at disappointment. I want to look at three different Ds, alphabetically speaking. First of all, I want to look at diagnosing disappointment. A 3D look at disappointment. The first of these Ds that I want to look at is the diagnosis of disappointment. How can I look at Luke chapter 24 at these two men traveling the seven-mile stretch from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and how can I ascertain that they are dealing with disappointment? How is it that I can look and proclaim the diagnosis of what they're dealing with to be disappointment? And I would tell you that there are several clues, and again, I've tried to narrow it down to a few, and there are several cues apparent through the 21 verses detailing the seven-mile journey along the road to Emmaus that let us know that I can accurately diagnose what these disciples are dealing with 
as being disappointment. First of all, if we look at verse number 17, we are to read there, I believe, the first of our clues that we would find that gives us the first cue, the first symptom, if you would, that helps us to identify and diagnose what the disciples are dealing with as being disappointment. The Bible tells us that as Jesus draws near to his disciples, other renditions, other uh, other revisions of the scripture would tell us that Jesus catches up to them. And as Jesus catches up to them, he involves himself in their conversation. And the amplified version of the Bible states, verse 17, as Jesus engages himself and enters himself into their discussion, here's what Jesus says to them from the Amplified Bible. He says this, What is this discussion that you're exchanging between yourselves as you walk along? And the Bible says they stood still looking sad and downcast. They stood still looking sad and downcast. In the presence of Jesus, yet sad and downcast. The King James Version says it this way, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another? As you walk and are sad, it is apparent as Jesus approaches them, their countenance is downcast. They are sad. And the first symptom of disappointment is an overwhelming sadness. The first symptom, the first symptom that allows us to diagnose what these disciples are dealing with and that we ourselves might be dealing with disappointment is that there will be the presence of an overwhelming, not just Sad, but an overwhelming sadness, a sadness that consumes, a sadness that saturates, a sadness that gets into every part of our being, a sadness that invades our conversation and overtakes our attitude, a sadness that is more than just circumstantial. It's more than just sadness that is attached to one area of our life, Sad, more than a sadness that is attached to one circumstance that we're going through but it is a prevailing sadness. It makes its way into every conversation. It, it finds its way into every morning that we wake up. It's everywhere that we look. We're dealing with this overwhelming sadness. And, and I feel like there is a giant of disappointment that is working to intimidate the church of the living God. That there is a giant of disappointment that, that I know I have faced in the last couple of weeks and months. I, I know as the pastor of this church, I understand that part of my role as a pastor is to face things before the church will face them. And, and maybe in some instances to face things in a, a, more, uh, a, a more saturated and less diluted form than the church will face them. And I would tell you that I know what I'm facing. I know that there is a giant of disappointment because I feel sadness. I, I, I feel this overwhelming sadness. I, I feel like it's almost impossible to shake off. I feel like I find it, its vocabulary making its way into every conversation that I have. Amen. Overwhelming sadness. The second symptom of disappointment that we find in this portion of Scripture that brings me to what I believe is an accurate diagnosis of disappointment, we find in verse number 16. The Bible tells us that after Jesus catches up to them and begins to walk with them, it says their eyes are holden. That the word holden means that their eyes are kept. They were restrained. They're looking at Jesus, but they don't see Jesus. They're looking right at him, but they don't see him. Amen. The, the Bible says that their eyes are holding that they should not know him. They don't recognize Jesus. Now, these aren't average people. These aren't just two occupants of Jerusalem that have, you know, they aren't two of the people that were in the crowd of 5,000 that Jesus fed. That, they're, they're not those. These are committed followers of Jesus, people that walk with Jesus, people that had spent time with Jesus, people that in three and a half years of Jesus' ministry have drawn close to them. But but they're dealing with the second symptom that diagnoses us with disappointment is a desensitizing grief. Desensitizing. Our senses don't work the way that God constructed them to work. 
Their, their, their grief restrains them from seeing Jesus. They're looking at him, but their senses are not working. I, they, they know who Jesus is. This isn't a lack of familiarity that they're dealing with. They're dealing with a desensitizing grief. I'm looking at Jesus, but I don't see him. And if that's not enough to convince you, verse 22 through 24, as they talk to Jesus, they tell him, that there are women that went to the sepulcher. There are women who went to the sepulcher and they were eyewitnesses and they said that Jesus was resurrected. They heard the account of Jesus being resurrected. They, they, they heard the story being told, but they didn't hear it. They, they heard the, the news, but they didn't listen. Desensitized, looking at Jesus, but not seeing him. Hearing the eyewitness testimony, but not hearing the witness of it desensitized. Jesus right in front of them, but they can't see him. Eyewitness testimonies, but they cannot hear them. Desensitizing grief. Disappointment will make us numb to the miracles that are all around us. Amen. That even as God is doing a great work among us, even as God is adding to the church in this last hour, even as great things are taking place, we don't see them, even though they're right in front of us. We hear the testimonies, we hear the reports, we hear the eyewitness, and yet we don't really hear what is being said. Why? Because we're disappointed. And one of the diagnoses or one of the symptoms of disappointment is desensitizing grief. Amen. We miss the forest because of the trees. We, we miss the miracles because of our disappointment that we're dealing with. And the third symptom that I find in Luke chapter 24 that leads us, leads me to a diagnosis of disappointment are defeated expectations. Defeated expectations. Overwhelming sadness. Desensitizing grief. And defeated expectations. Disappointment. The study of this word disappointment, if you look up the etymology, the study of the word disappointment, you would find that it's summarized to one phrase, the defeat of expectation. The defeat of expectation. Or, as another etymologist declared, the failure of hope. The defeat of expectation. This is what I expected. There was an appointment on my calendar that wasn't kept. It is the canceling of an expectation. It's the canceling of an appointment, the defeat of an expectation. I expected things to go one way, and they're not working out that way. That is the essence of what disappointment is. It is the failure of hope. I had this hope in my life. I had this hope that I had built in my life, but now the hope has been canceled out of my life, and this is the essence of what disappointment is. And when you consider that the currency upon which the kingdom of heaven operates is faith. And what is faith? It is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of expectation, things not seen. Then you begin to understand the dreadful danger that we face when dealing with the defeat of expectation and the failure of hope, when we deal with disappointment because faith is hope. Faith is expectation. And when my expectation has been defeated and my hope has failed, I'm left without faith. And that is why the giant of disappointment is such a formidable foe. The telltale sign of disappointment we find in verse 21. The first three words ring so heavily in my spirit today. When the disciples said to Jesus, but we trusted. But we trusted. They don't know it, but they're diagnosing their disappointment. The New Living Translation simply says it this way, but we hoped. You see, we had these expectations, and those expectations were defeated. We had these hopes, but our hopes have failed. Now, there are other three-word combinations that identify the presence of the point, uh, disappointment in our lives. We might say it this way, but I thought, 
or we might say, but I felt. I've said it this way countless times in my life, but it seemed. It just seemed like it was going to work out this way, but I thought it was going to happen this way, but I just felt like things were going to go that way. However you may put it, the message is the same. Amen. Our expectations have been defeated. Amen. And so it is, I can accurately diagnose these two disciples on the road to Emmaus that they are dealing with the diabolical disease. They are dealing with the undefeatable giant, it almost seems, of disappointment because of the fact that as I diagnose their symptoms, they are dealing with overwhelming sadness. They are dealing with a desensitizing grief and they are dealing with defeated expectation. Amen. Defeated expectations. We've all been there where we thought it would turn out different. I, I hoped it would go a different way. I, I felt like it was going to turn out a different way. It should have gone a different way. I'm preaching again. I told you to myself this morning. I've got to be honest that I've been facing some giants of disappointment. I'm going to be transparent today and tell you that the giant of disappointment has visited our home of late. Things that we thought would turn out differently than they have. The diagnosis of disappointment. And beyond the diagnosis of disappointment, there is the danger of disappointment. Let me identify for us today the dangers of disappointment. The first danger of disappointment is identified in the opening verse. Here is the reason that we have to be careful when we're dealing with disappointment. First of all, after we have diagnosed ourselves and understand that we're dealing with disappointment, we must understand the danger of disappointment. First of all, in the very opening verse of this account, verse number 13, we find and the first danger deals with direction. The Bible tells us that these two disciples are on their way to a village called Emmaus. They're on their way to a village called Emmaus. Many commentaries and discussions when speaking of this encounter between verse 13 and 33, they simply summarize this encounter between Jesus and his two disciples as the encounter on the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus. However, the seven-mile stretch of road linking the village of Emmaus and Jerusalem was never constructed to be a road to Emmaus. That was not the intention that this road was built for. It was not intended to be a connecting point to Emmaus. Yet, as with every other highway and every other road that had been constructed, Attaching itself to Jerusalem, every road was constructed for one reason, and that was to be a road to Jerusalem. It was intended to be a pathway for worshipers making their way to worship in the holy mountain. This was not intended to be a road to Emmaus, rather it was intended to be a road to Jerusalem. It was not intended to be a road leading to Emmaus, it was intended to be a road leading to Jerusalem. Amen. Jerusalem is where believers gather together. Jerusalem is where Jesus would soon open to the disciples. He would appear to the disciples and he would open their minds to the scripture. Jerusalem is where the believers would gather in the upper room. In just a few days they would gather in the upper room and they would wait for the promise. These disciples, the problem is not that they're on the wrong road. They're on the right road. They're just headed in the wrong direction. This is not intended to be a road taking them to Emmaus. It was constructed to be a road taking them to Jerusalem. And everything that they had lived for was about to take place in Jerusalem. But now, instead of being on a road to Jerusalem, they find themselves on the road to Emmaus. Jerusalem is where... Soon, the 120 and some say plus women and children would gather in that upper room and there they would tarry and they would wait for the promise of the Father. Jerusalem is where not many days hence there would come a sound from heaven 
as of a rushing mighty wind that would fill all the house, that cloven tongues like as a fire would sit upon each of them, and they would begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Can I tell you, here is the danger of disappointment. You may be on the right road, but you will be headed in the wrong direction. Amen. You might still be on the right road today. If you're dealing with disappointment, you might be on the right road. But if you don't deal with disappointment, you'll find yourself heading in the wrong direction. Make no mistake, there was nothing for these disciples in Emmaus. Emmaus was them going back to what they were before Jesus called them. Emmaus represented the old way of living. Emmaus represented a hope in this world. Emmaus represented a different way outside of the way that Jesus had called them to. Emmaus represented their life before the calling upon their lives. Emmaus was a safe way. Everybody say in your living room, a safe way. I'm not talking about the grocery store. Emmaus was a safe way of living. In Jerusalem, that's where the promise was, but it's also where persecution was. In Jerusalem, followers of Jesus would soon be persecuted and martyred for preaching in the name of Jesus. Emmaus was a safe place. Emmaus was going back to what I used to be. Emmaus was a statement by the disciples. I'm disappointed, and so I'm going back to what I used to be. I'm going back to a safer way of living. I'm starting to understand that this may cost me some things, and I'm not sure that I'm ready to pay the price, so I'm going back to what I used to be. Make no mistake about it. Emmaus was on the right road, but it was in the wrong direction. They weren't running to Emmaus, they were running from Jerusalem. And disappointment will cause you to move in the wrong direction. Perhaps still on the right road, but moving in the wrong direction. Listen, across the land today, statistics, not just statistics. I'm talking to friends of mine, pastors, and, and statistics also are telling us that churches are emptying out. People are disappointed by COVID. They're disappointed by the racial tension in our world today. They're disappointed by online church. They're disappointed by things that are going on in their lives. And, and by, the, by the droves, people are going back to Emmaus. I, I, I know that there's a, been a misconception out there that online church is as good as regular church. But, but, but the numbers are declining. People that for just a few weeks were tuning into online services, they're not tuning in any longer. And people that were followers of Jesus Christ are now going back to Emmaus. I've got to tell us today that it's not time to move to Emmaus. The promise is still in Jerusalem. I know there's danger in Jerusalem. I know there's danger in Jerusalem. Sorry, Matt's amen to me. See, I don't know how to deal with an amen when there's nobody else here. Thank you, Matt. I know that there's danger. I know that there's persecution in Jerusalem. But the promise is waiting on us in Jerusalem. And it's not time to go back to Emmaus. The second danger. The first danger deals with direction. The second danger deals with perception. Jesus walks beside them and asks them, why are you so sad? What can possibly be so bad? You guys look a mess. You look terrible. And Cleopas, disappointed Cleopas says, I'm paraphrasing, but catch the irony of this. Cleopas looks at resurrected Jesus and says to resurrected Jesus, and paraphrasing, this is what he says, Are you the only person around that hasn't heard that Jesus is dead? Cleopas is talking to resurrected Jesus, filling him in about dead Jesus. Hey, resurrected Jesus, in case you haven't heard, you're dead. I know that sounds foolish. But when we're dealing with disappointment, we can begin to say some foolish things. Our perception can begin to get messed up when we're dealing with disappointment. I have... I've said some foolish things in the last several weeks. I've, I've said some things like, God, in case you haven't heard. Well, of case God's heard. He's God. He hears everything. God, I, I've allowed myself, I've allowed the spirit of disappointment 
to begin to convince me or to begin to try to convince me, I'll say it that way, to try to convince me that maybe there are some things going on that are outside the grasp of God's power and control. Amen. Amen. And that is the danger of disappointment. It begins to mess with our perception that we've got a resurrected Jesus standing in front of us and we start trying to tell resurrected Jesus that he's dead. We've got an almighty, all-powerful God around us and we start trying to feel God in that there's some things that he can't handle and that is the danger of disappointment. It will cause you to look past victory in order to find defeat. It caused Cleopas to look past the resurrection to find death. Disappointment will cause you to look past victory and find defeat. It will cause you to look beyond joy and find sorrow. It will cause you to push past the silver lining in order to find the cloud. Child of God, I speak to you today. It is time to cast off disappointment. Disappointment, I just abbreviated. It's time to cast off disappointment. Don't let your defeated expectation lead you to look past the resurrection in order to find a grave. Don't let your failed hopes cause you to look past joy so that you can find sorrow. Amen. We've got to push beyond that. So just purely from a grammatical standpoint, the antonym, what is the antonym? The opposite of disappointment or a point, disappoint. What is the opposite of disappoint? Well, it is a point. To appoint, to, to appoint something is the opposite of disappointment. It is when you appoint something, when you put an appointment on your calendar, you place expectation there that this is going to happen. And so simply from a grammatical standpoint, the opposite of disappoint is to appoint. And I want to tell somebody today that is dealing with disappointment, you need to make an appointment today. Amen. You need to push back disappointment by making an appointment today. What are you talking about, Pastor? Turn with me in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 61, where the holy prophet Isaiah began to write of one that was coming. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Say that with me in your living room. Anointed me. Amen. There is an anointing that is going to come upon me to do what? To preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance. He is talking about an appointment. He said, I know that it looks like there is death in front of me, but I'm looking past death to find the resurrection, not the disappointment where you look beyond the resurrection to find death. Amen. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Here we go, verse 3, to appoint. Verse 1, he has anointed me to do what? Verse 3, to appoint. There is an anointing that's got to come up on the last day, church. There is an anointing that's got to come into your living room right now. There is an anointing that's got to come up on this preacher today. That as the giant of disappointment stands before me, I say I've got an anointing upon me right now to appoint. I'm tired of looking past the resurrection to find death. I'm tired of looking past ashes, past beauty to find ashes. No, I'm going to stop being disappointed and I'm going to start appointing to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, why that he might be glorified. Right now in your living room, it's time for you to make an appointment. Instead of you digging through all of the beauty to find ashes, you need to push past the ashes and find beauty. Instead of you pushing past joy to find mourning, you need to push through the morning and find you some joy today. I'm, I'm tired of being disappointed. There's an anointing upon me to appoint. Anointed to appoint. Tell somebody in your living room, you are anointed to a point. If you're going to defeat depression, if you're going to defeat rather disappointment, you've got to have an anointing come upon you to a point. And the third danger deals with expectation. The first danger deal with, dealt with direction. The second danger dealt with perception. The third danger deals with expectation. Expectation. 
verse 21. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. What are they saying? We thought for sure that Jesus was coming to overthrow the Roman Empire. We thought for sure he was coming to deliver us from our oppressors and redistribute the power and the wealth of Judea, Galilee. Here's the problem. Here's the danger of disappointment. We began to make our own Messiah. See, the reason that they were dealing with disappointment is because they had made their own Messiah. They had constructed their own Messiah. They ignored what the Bible said about Messiah, and they made their own Messiah. The danger of disappointment is we begin to construct, we are in danger of disappointment when we begin to construct a Jesus that has come to meet my expectations. We become disappointed because we have constructed a Messiah that has come to deliver to us the American dream. Amen. Jesus is going to bring me the American dream. I'm going to get rich. I'm going to live in a big house. We're going to get married, have two kids, a picket fence, a dog, and a cat. Amen. And, and, and HelloFresh is going to deliver us our meals. And we, we, we build this American dream. And then when Jesus doesn't deliver to us the American dream, we get disappointed in Jesus. We get disappointed that he's not who he said he was, when in fact he is always who he said he was. He will always be who he said he was. The problem is we're trying to make him who we said he was. You won't find the American dream in the Bible, by the way. I'm not saying God's against you being prosperous. Certainly you will find that. But there is no place in the scripture where it says Messiah is going to come and bring you the American dream. Look at the irony of their disappointment. They're disappointed because they thought Jesus was coming to deliver Israel. They wanted Jesus to come and be a physical deliverer of their personal genre. Because I am this. Because I'm this skin color. Because I'm of this culture. Because I'm of this race. Because I'm of this nationality then I'm expecting Jesus to come and act on behalf of who I am. And we've got people in our world today that are trying to turn Jesus into the Messiah that these disappointed disciples, they want Jesus to come and save their certain segment of society. Can I tell you, Jesus did not come just to deliver Israel. Jesus didn't come just to deliver white people, black people, brown people, or yellow people. Jesus came to be a savior of the whole world. And we get disappointed with Jesus when he doesn't do our little deal, when in fact he came to do a much bigger deal. Amen. He didn't come just to save Israel. He came to save the whole world. He came to save, seek and save that which was lost. Tunnel vision of disappointment didn't let them see what Jesus came to do was so much bigger and so much greater than what they were allowing to disappoint them. I'm disappointed because Jesus didn't do this little thing when Jesus is doing, when Jesus came to do so much, something so much bigger than what I thought he could have done. Listen, you are setting yourself up for disappointment when you, when you try to limit Jesus to just operating in your little confined space of the world. You need to understand he's so much bigger. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. Come on, it's, it's bigger than you are. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways greater than ours. We become disappointed that things didn't work out the way that we thought they would. Listen, you can open yourselves up to deception when you're looking for a Messiah that does things the way that you thought they would. Look at what Jesus says to them in verse 25. You, I mean, I don't know, maybe different King James language than today, but I think. If I'm these two disciples in the middle of a pity party, and in verse 25, Jesus, you know, I'm telling him all the bad going on, and listen, Jesus' first two words is, you fools. You fools. You, you fools. All right, Jesus, you got my attention. Now, why didn't you pay? Here's what Jesus says. Why didn't you pay attention to the Moses and the prophets? Why didn't you listen to what the Scripture said? You're disappointed in a Messiah that doesn't exist. 
You're disappointed in a Messiah that I never promised I would be. You're disappointed because you made your own Messiah. If you would have read what the law and prophets said, if you would have read what Moses had to say, you wouldn't be disappointed because you'd understand. And Jesus says to them, he says, I had to die and be received up into glory. You would have known that that grave was part of the plan. You would have known that that rugged cross was part of the plan. You would have known that three days I'd be in the tomb, but on the third morning I was going to get up. You would have known that was part of the plan. You're disappointed because you made a Messiah that doesn't exist. And right now the modern church is at a crossroad. We're dealing with disappointment in part because we tried to make our own Messiah. We want Jesus to make church a safe place. Amen. Pastor, I'll be there as long as you can guarantee me there's no COVID there. Pastor, I'll be there as long as you can guarantee me that I won't get sick. You're asking me to make you a Messiah that I can't make for you. Jesus never said that 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 we weren't going to have persecution. He never said there wasn't going to be turmoil. He never said there wasn't going to be trouble. But he did say, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Some of you are waiting on a Messiah that's not going to come and you're going to be disappointed if you wait around too long. Come on, it's not time for us to go back to Emmaus. It's time to go to Jerusalem. It's time to get involved in the work of God. I'm not telling you you won't get sick if you come to church. You may very well get sick. I'm not telling you that you may not die for the cause of Jesus. You may die for it, but that's what Messiah told us was going to happen. Pastor, I just feel safer. I just feel better. Listen, if you have health issues and concerns that are keeping you at home, then you do it. But if it's a spirit of fear that is keeping you there and you're disappointed in Messiah because, well, I heard now that people got sick at church, Pastor. There's no way I'm coming back now. The devil is a lie. You're being defeated by a giant of disappointment. You need to understand people in the world get sick. People in the church get sick. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. But I will not let a giant of disappointment keep me from getting into my land of promise created your own Messiah. Disappointment will rob you of your ability to recognize Jesus. Church, the moment that we lose our ability to recognize Jesus, when we can come to church and not know if Jesus is there or not, when we can walk into the house of God and not really even care, if Jesus is here or not. Well, we did our Sunday deal, Pastor. You got to understand, Pastor, it's, it's COVID season. And health risks are there, Pastor. We can't worship the way that we don't really need Jesus. We just need church. And the moment that we can have church where we don't know if Jesus is with us or not, we need to shut the doors. Amen. The health department don't need to tell us what to do. We need to do it ourselves. Shut the doors and lock them. Huh? Amen. But when Jesus can be among us and we don't recognize his presence, we are in trouble. Diagnosis of disappointment. The danger of disappointment. I want to conclude with the final D of disappointment. Defeating disappointment. Because I'm not here to preach about the defeat of expectation. I'm not here to glorify the giant of disappointment. Because for every giant in the Bible, there was a giant killer. For every giant ever named in the scripture, there was a victor that overcame that giant and disappointment is no different. I'm not here today to make disappointment seem like uh, some insurmountable foe. But I'm here to preach to you that there is a victory over the defeat of expectation. Uh, There is a victory over disappointment. Uh, The story does not end with two disciples headed in the wrong direction uh, on the right road. That's not how the story ends. Uh, I know that those disciples were dealing with disappointment. Uh, I know they were running from Jerusalem and running to Emmaus. Uh, I know they were running from persecution and risk and they were running to safety. But that's not how the story ends uh, because uh, the story doesn't end with two disciples going back to their old lives. No, verse 33 says this, and the same hour after Jesus had opened their eyes, the same hour they returned to Jerusalem. 
Amen. There is a victory over disappointment. I know right now disappointment might have you headed on the wrong road. You might be going back to what you used to be. You might be disappointed by online church. You might be disappointed by the fact that we had a little outbreak of COVID in the church. And you might have made up in your mind, I'm not going back to church anymore. It's not a safe place to be. Can I tell you the same virus you might, might, might get here is the same one you might get at Walmart, but some of you ain't denying Walmart your business. So don't deny the house of God your, your business either. Amen. There is a victory over disappointment. Here is how the church will win the victory over disappointment. Verse 28. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But, but they constrained him. And they said, abide with us. Jesus, the Bible says, made as though. We might say that in modern terms, he acted like. He acted like he was just going to keep on walking. He was testing them. Not, not in the sense of a temptation. He was seeing what was in them. What desire is in you? Are you just going to go back to Emmaus and let depression defeat you? Are you going to miss out on the promise? Are you going to miss out on the Holy Ghost because you're dealing with disappointment? I want to know what is in you. But the Bible says they constrained him. They got in Jesus' way. They blocked his path. They said, no, we're not letting you go any further. We want you to abide with us. And the first step to defeating disappointment is there must be a renewed passion and zeal that we've got to have the abiding power of Jesus with us. We can't, if there's ever been a time that we can't afford to have dead church, it's now. I'm not telling you you won't get the virus. You may get it. Everybody in the church may get it. But we still got to have a move of God. We've still got to have miracle signs and wonders. If there's ever been a time that we need God to abide with us, it's now. Pastor, I'm afraid to sing. I might get sick. I'm more afraid if you don't sing, you may not make it to heaven. I'm more afraid if you don't worship, the devil may defeat you. I'm more afraid if you don't get to the house of God, the enemy is going to separate you and devour you. I know, I know the temptation is next Sunday. The crowd's going to be way down. And those of you that are here are going to come in here and you're going to be dealing with disappointment. And your worship isn't going to be what it used to be because after all, we might get sick. Come on, we're not going to sing like we used to sing because after all, we might get sick. But I'm telling you right now, there's got to be something that rises up in the church that says get a hold of Jesus. Jesus dwell with us. Jesus abide with us. If I get COVID, I get COVID. If I get sick, I get sick. Come on, I read somewhere we used to sing a song that said, if I perish, let me perish, but I'm going to see the king. If I get sick and die, it is not going to rob me of my praise. It's not going to rob me of my worship. Come on, we cannot afford to let the mass social distancing challenges that we are facing keep us from an abide. There's got to be a kind of worship within the church in this hour. It says we got to get a hold of Jesus. Got to have a move of Jesus today. Jesus, we're not letting you go on. We're not letting you go down the road and find some other group of people. We're not letting you go down the road and find somebody else. We need you here. God, we need your presence to move among us. We need your presence. If we've ever needed it, we need it now. If we've ever needed a move of the Holy Ghost, we need it now. It came to pass. Verse 30, it came to pass as he said it, meet with them, with them, both of them, them, took bread and blessed it and break it and gave to them. We're going to defeat disappointment. I, I know some of you, I've already, I've already angered you because I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to risk something for Jesus. Remember that whole take up your cross thing? Remember that one? Messiah didn't hide that, by the way. That was how he started out his recruiting pitch. It's going to cost you. I'm going to persecute you for my namesake. Amen. Perilous times will come. They're coming. But I've upset your apple cart by challenging you to get back to the house of God next Sunday when the doors are open. To be an exuberant worshiper. Pastor, you're putting my health at risk. I'm not putting your health at risk. Be wise in what you do. 
But we need Jesus. We need Jesus. And you don't get Jesus by playing church. You don't get Jesus by coming to a religious ceremony. You come, you get Jesus. Amen. He inhabits the praises of his people, not, not the playtime of his people. He comes and he sits at meat with them and took bread, blessed it, break it, and gave to them. Second thing that we must do if we're going to de- defeat disappointment, we've got to have fellowship with God and with one another. I'm not backing down off of it. I'm not, I, know, I know we had our little outbreak here, little you know, multiple cases. I, I get it, but I'm not backing down. The word of God doesn't change, does not change. Whatever's happening doesn't change. We still need fellowship with God and with man. Jesus broke bread and together they fellowshiped. We need intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. If we're going to defeat disappointment, we've got to have intimacy with God and with one another. There gotta be times that we come together and we just enjoy one another's company. Well, I'm so afraid, Pastor. What if if you cough, I'm leaving? Pastor, if you sneeze, I'm out of here. Come on, somebody. We gotta recognize what's going on. We have to recognize there's a giant of disappointment that is trying to intimidate the church out of what is promised in the word of God, the greatest revival that has ever come to mankind. There's gotta be a group of people that rise up and say, I'm gonna break God, I'm gonna break bread with God and with man. I'm gonna have fellowship with God and with man. I'm gonna enter into times of intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and with humanity. And finally. Verse 32, after their eyes have been opened, these two disciples look at one another and they say retrospectively. At the moment, they were so blinded by disappointment. Too stunned by disappointment to declare what they were feeling. See, they were being desensitized. They couldn't see, they couldn't hear, but they could still feel. They said to one another retrospectively, remember when we were walking together, by the way, And he was talking to us. Did you feel what I felt? I felt that burning, that familiar burning. Now my disappointment caused me to think that Jesus was dead. But I know what I felt. I've never felt that anywhere else. The only time I've ever felt what I felt was when Jesus was. Remember that time on the hillside when he broke those fishes and loaves and fed 5,000? My soul burned within me. Remember that time he took that little girl and said to come so rise up. And she got up from the dead. That same feeling. That's what I felt the other day on the roadside. One man looked at the other and said, while I was walking, I, I know my, my, my eyes, I was desensitized. I couldn't see and I couldn't hear. But I should have listened to what I felt. Because what I felt said, and what I see said God is dead. What I see said Jesus Christ is dead. But what I felt said he's not dead. What I felt said he's alive, and my disappointment is telling me God can't handle what I'm going through. But whenever we come together in the house of God and we begin to worship, what this world is telling me and what my senses are telling me might be telling me that God has lost control. But when we get together in this place and we begin to worship, everything feels all right. I just know God's going to make a way out of no way. I may not understand how he's doing it or why he's doing it, but that burning in my soul... I'm so disappointed thinking Jesus was dead. God had lost control. That my situation was out of his hands. I'd lost so, so I was I was going back to Emmaus. There was distance being created in my life between me and the promises God has for me. I'm preaching to people right now. You may still be on the right road. Since all this broke out, there's distance. Some of you have started going back to things. Some of you are, there's, there's distance between you and the promises of God. You're starting to distance yourself over the safety issue. I'm going to Emmaus where it's safe. Again, get mad at me if you want to. My, my job is not to pamper you. My job is to try to help you make it to heaven. But there was one thing. I was on my way back to Emmaus. But one thing saved me. One thing caused me to say, don't go. One thing caused me to get a hold of Jesus and say, abide here. 
One thing caused me to say, sit down and let's have fellowship together. One thing caused me to say, I'm going to have fellowship with God and with man. And it was that familiar nudge in my spirit. It was that familiar burning in my heart. Amen. Everything around me was saying, Jesus is dead. Everything around me is saying, God's lost control. It's out of his hands. But living hope, there's something that happens. I know for our family, we've been dealing with the the disappointment of my father-in-law's passing. I believe that he was going to be healed. I believe that I believe with every ounce of my being that he was going to be healed. My wife, I know we were resolute in that belief. We had words spoken over us. We believed, and I'm telling you, we've watched as the journey has gone. We've watched his body shrivel away to nothing. We've watched just a week ago as the, the final FaceTime call, and we, for the last few moments, my wife was able to have conversation with her father before he stepped into eternity, and it doesn't make sense, and and. and, and and if you stay away, if you, if you start going to Emmaus, you become disappointed. Uh, but there's something even through this journey as my father-in-law's body began to, to, to just kind of fade away. Every time we would come back into the house of God and we would begin to worship, there was just this overwhelming peace. Everything is going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. I don't know how God is going to do it. I don't know when is gonna, God is going to do it. But everything is going to be all right. And there's something you will only find in the presence of God that you cannot find anywhere. We can't afford to be separated from one another because God shows up. He inhabits the praise of his people. He moves when his people get together and we cannot afford to be distant. I fought disappointment. There is a victory over disappointment. That victory over defeat of expectations, that victory over disappointment is found only in the presence of the Most High God. It's the only time. Look on the news. Oh, the world is out of control. Tension, strife. Doesn't make sense. My mind is obliterated, bombed, bombarded by, man, something happens when I walk into the house of God. We lift holy hands together and we begin to worship. Just all of that confusion fades away. and I just know that everything is going to be okay. He holds my world in his hands. God, you know the way that you have chosen for me. You know the path that you have chosen for me. It may not be the way that I thought you were going to do it. I thought you were going to come and deliver Israel. I thought you were going to raise my father-in-law up. I thought... I I thought the church was in a bubble and we weren't going to get COVID. I I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought. Now I'm struggling with disappointment. And I guess some of you are wondering now, all right, pastor, are we going to settle down now? Are you going to chill out now? Are you going to ease up now, pastor? Are we going to have less church now? Going to preach a little bit more cautious now, be a little more careful about what you say? Are you going to back down on that exuberant worship now? I've come with one answer, not on your life. If that, if that disappoints you, I'm, 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 I'm asking you, I'm asking you, I'm looking right at this camera, find you another church. If you're looking for a pastor that's going to cower to COVID, find you another church. We're not doing it. We will be safe. We'll do everything we can to keep this building safe. But there's only one thing that makes sense in this world, and it's the presence of Jesus. There's only one thing that makes sense in this world, and it's the presence of the Most High God. And you're not going to get that in your living room watching over Wi-Fi. I know some of you have to, and I believe the grace of God will help you. But you're not going to get it. There's something about the fact when we come together and we begin to worship together. Amen. I know this much today that it's time we defeat disappointment. It's time that we defeat disappointment. Amen. I need the presence of God. I want to say like David did in Psalm 5111, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit away from me. Or Moses in Exodus 33 and 15, when God was angry with the Israelites and said, you guys go ahead to the promised land. I'm going to stay here. And Moses said, I'd rather die in the wilderness than to live without your presence. That's got to rise up in the church right now. You want to get rid of all the risk? You're not going to do it. You want to get rid of all the peril? It's not going to happen. I know this. I'd rather die in the wilderness than to live without your presence. He's been too good to me for me to go back to Emmaus. Stand in your living room right now and raise your hands with me. He's been too good to me. 
I don't care how many cases, Pastor. I don't know. Quite a few. Yep, we had it. It did. It 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 got us. It did. But he's been too good to me for me to go back to Emmaus. We may need to tighten things up a little. We need to change a few of the things the way that we do what we do. The only thing that's saving me from disappointment is that burning in my heart. The only thing that's saving me, I've, I've got to get back to Jerusalem. There's a promise waiting on me in Jerusalem. I may, I may, I'm risking some things. I understand that I may lose my life. I believe before this is all said and done, there's a strong chance pastors and preachers are going to lay down their life for the preaching of the gospel within the next five, six years. I believe that, and, and I probably will be one of them. I got to have the presence of God. It's the only thing saving me from disappointment. I want you to raise your hands there in your living room, and I want you to pray over your families. I want you to pray with your families together. Some of you are dealing with disappointment. Come on, I can diagnose. I can look at you. Come on, I, I've, I've self-diagnosed. I've been dealing with disappointment. I, it's my conversation. It's sadnesses in everything. My, my perception, I'm not seeing and I'm not hearing the way that I should. My, my expectations have been defeated. I, I'm self-diagnosing today. I know that giant that I'm facing is disappointment. And some of you right now, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself, but I'm asking you to be honest. You're fighting a giant. You're fighting a giant, and there's only one way to defeat that giant. There's got to be something that burns in your heart that you say, i got to get a hold of Jesus, and he's got to abide here. Come on, we're not going to let this destroy this church. We're not going to let it take this church down to 50 people in service on Sunday. It's not going to happen. I, I understand it may cost you some things. I understand, but, 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 but we got to have Jesus. Uh, come on, I'm not going to die at the sword of disappointment. I'm not going to die by the spear of disappointment. Uh, but today I'm going to raise my hands and say, Jesus, I've got to have you. Uh, more than health, more than safety, more than security, I've got to have you. Jesus. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus.